Chapter Thirteen of Christmas A Story. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Christmas A Story by Zona Gale. Chapter Thirteen. Before they could go out to find Mary, as a dozen would have done, she was at the threshold alone. She seemed to understand without wonder why they were there, and with perfect naturalness she turned to them to share her trouble. "'He hasn't come,' she said simply. Her face was quite white, and because they usually saw her with a scarf or shawl over her head, she looked almost strange to them, for she wore a hat. Also she had on an unfamiliar soft-coloured wrap that had been her mother's and was kept in tissues. She had dressed carefully to go to meet the child. I might as well dress up a little, she had thought, and I guess he'll like colours best. Almost before she spoke they put in her hands the telegram. They were pressing toward her, dreading, speechless, trying to hear what should be read. She stepped nearer to the light of the candles on the little tree, read and re-read in the stillness. When she looked up her face was so illumined that she was strange to them once more. Oh, she said, it's his train. It was late for the local. They've put him on the express, and it'll drop him at the draw. The tense air crumpled into breathings, and a soft clamor filled the rooms as they told one another, and came to tell her how glad they were. She pulled herself together and tried to slip into her natural manner. "'It did give me a turn,' she confessed. "'I thought he'd been—he'd got—' She went into the dining-room, still without great wonder that they were all there, but when she saw the women in white aprons and the table arrayed, and on it Ellen Bourne's Christmas rose blooming, she broke into a little laugh. "'Oh,' she said, "'you done this a purpose for him.' "'I hope, Mary, you won't mind,' Miss Mortimer Bates said formally, "'it being Christmas so. "'We'd have done just the same on any other day.' "'Oh,' said Mary, "'mind?' They hardly knew her, she moved among them so flushed and laughing and comfortable, praising, admiring, thanking them. "'Honestly, Mary,' said Miss Moran finally, "'we'll have you so you can't tell Christmas from any other day. It'll be so nice.' The express would be due at the draw at 8.30. 8.33, Affer told her when he came back washed up. Mary watched the clock. She had not milked or fed the cows before she went, because she had thought that he would like to watch the milking, and it would be something for him to do on that first evening. So when she could, she took her shawl and slipped out to the shed for the pails and her lantern, and went alone to the stable. Mary opened the door, and her lantern made a golden room of light within the borderless shadow. The hay smell from the loft and the mangers, the even breathing of the cows, the quiet safety of the place, met her. She hung her lantern in its accustomed place and went about her task. Her mind turned back to the time that had elapsed since the local came in at the Old Trail Town Station. 
She had stood there with the children about her, hardly breathing, while the two trail-town men and a solitary travelling man had alighted. There had been no one else. In terror, lest the child should be carried past the station, she had questioned the conductor, begging him to go in and look again, parleyed with him until he had swung his lantern. Then she had turned away with the children, utterly unable to formulate anything. There was no other train to stop at Old Trail Town that night. It must mean disaster, indefinable disaster that had somehow engulfed him and had not pointed the way that he had gone. She recalled now that she had refused Buff Miles's invitation to ride, but had suffered him to take the children. Then she had set out to walk home. On that walk home she had unlived her plans, obscure speculations, stirring in her fear, at first tormented her, and then gave place to the conclusion that John had changed his mind, had seen, perhaps, that he could not, after all, let the child go so far, had found someone else to take him, and that the morrow would bring a letter to tell her so. In any case, she was not to have him. The conclusion swept her with the vigor of certainty. But instead of the relief for which she would have looked, that certainty gave her nothing but desolation. Until the moment when the expectation seemed to die, she had not divined how it had grown into her days, as subtly as the growth of little cell and little cell. And now the weight upon her, instead of lifting, soaring in the possibility of the return of her old freedom, lay the more heavily, and her sense of oppression became abysmal. "'Something is going to happen,' she had kept saying. "'Something has happened.' So she had got on toward her own door. There the swift relief was like an upbearing into another air, charged with more intimate largesse for life. Now Mary sat in the stable in a sense of happy reality that clothed all her feeling, rather in a sense of super-reality which she did not know how to accept. So, slowly singing in her as she sat at her task, came that which had waited until she should open the way. In the stable there was that fusion of shadow and light in which captive spaces reveal all their mystery little areas of brightness, of functioning, then dimness, then the deep. Brightness in which surfaces of worn floor, slivered wall, dusty glass, showed values more specific than those of color. Dimness in which gray rafters with wavering edges, rough posts, each with an accessory of shadow, an old harness in grotesque loops, ceased to be background, and assumed roles, the background itself modified by many an unshadowed promontory, was accented in caverns of manger and roof. The place revealed mystery and beauty in the casual business of saying what had to be said. Mary filled her arms with hay and turned to the manger. The raw smell of the clover smote her, and it was as sweet as spring repromised. She stood for a moment with the hay in her arms, her breath coming swiftly. 
Down on the marsh, not half an hour away, he was coming to her, to be with her, as she had grown used to imagining him. She had thought that he was not coming, and he was almost here. She knew now that she was glad of this, no matter what it brought her, glad as she had never known how to be glad of anything before. He was coming. There was a thrill in the words every time that she thought them. Already she was welcoming him in her heart. Already he was here. Already he was born into her life. With a soft, fierce rush of feeling not her own, it seemed to her that her point of perception was somehow drawn inward, as if she no longer saw from the old places, as if something in her that was not used to looking looked. In the seat where her will had been was no will, but somewhere in there, beyond all conflict, she felt herself to be. Beyond a thousand mists, volitions, little seekings for comfort, rebellions at toil, the cryings of personality for its physical own, she stood at last, herself within herself, and that which, through the slow process of her life and of life and being immeasurably before her, had been seeking its expression, building up its own vehicle of incarnation, quite suddenly and simply flowered. It was as if the weight and the striving within her had been the pangs of some birth. She stood as light of heart as a little child, filled with peace and tender exaltation. These filled her on the road which she took to meet him, and took alone, for she would have no one go with her. "'What's come over, Mary?' they asked one another in the kitchen. "'She acts like she was somebody else and herself, too.' The night lay about her as any other winter night, white and black, a clean white world on which men set a pattern of highway and shelter, a clean dark sky on which a story is written in stars. And between... No mystery, but only growth. Out toward the drawbridge the road was not well broken. She went, stumbling in the ruts and hardly conscious of them. And Mary thought, Something in me is glad. It's as if something in me knew how to be glad more than I ever knew how alone. For I'm nothing but me here in Old Trail Town, and yet it's as if something had come, secret, on purpose, to make me know why to be glad. It's something in the world bigger than I know about. It's in me, and I guess it was in folks before me, and it will be in folks always. It isn't just for Ebenezer Rule and the city. It's for everybody here in Old Trail Town as much as anywhere. It's for folks that's hungry for it, and it's for folks that ain't. It's always been in the world, and it will always be in the world, and some day we'll know what to do. But this was hardly in her feeling, or even in her thought. It lay within her thanksgiving that the child was coming, and he only a little way down there across the marsh. It seemed quite credible and even fitting that the mighty, rushing, lighted express which seldom stopped at Old Trail Town, should that night come thundering across the marsh, 
and slow down at the drawbridge for her sake and the little boy's. Several coaches' length from where she stood, she saw a lantern shine where they were lifting him down. She ran ankle-deep through the thinly crusted snow. "'That's it,' said the conductor, "'all the way from Idaho,' and swung his lantern from the step. "'Merry Christmas,' he called back. The little thing clasping Mary's hand suddenly leaped up and down beside her. "'Merry Christmas! Merry Christmas! Merry Christmas!' he shouted with all his might. Mary Chava stood silent, and as the train drew away, held out her hand, still in silence, for the boy to take. As the noise of the train lessened, he looked up. "'Are you her?' he asked soberly. "'Yes,' she cried joyously. "'I'm her!' Their way led east between high banks of snow. At the end of the road was the village, looking like something lying on the great white plate of the meadows and being offered to one who needed it. At the far end of the road, which was Old Trail Road, hung the blue arc light of the town hall, center to the constellation of the home lights and the shop lights and the street lights. There, in her house, were her neighbors, gathered to do no violence to that Christmas paper of theirs, since there was to be no present trading, no money spending. Nevertheless, they had drawn together by common consent, and it was Christmas Eve. She knew it now. There is no arbitrary shutting out of that for which Christmas stands. As its spirit was in the village, so its spirit is in the world denied indeed, put upon, crowned with mockery, dragged in the dirt, bearing alien burdens, but through it all immaculate, waiting for men to cross the threshold at which it never ceases to beckon to a common heritage. Home of the world, with a thousand towers shining with uncounted lights, lying very near, above the village at the end of the old trail road, upon the earth at the end of a yet unbeaten path where men face the sovereign fact of humanhood but all this lay within mary's dumb thanksgiving that the child was running at her side and the vision that she saw streamed down from capella of the brightness of an hundred of our sons the star that stood in the east above the village where she lived Lanterns glowed through the roadside shrubbery, little kindly lights like answers, and at a bend in the road voices burst about them, and Buff Miles and the children, Gussie and Bennett and Tab and Pep and little Emily, ran singing and closed about Mary and the child and went on with them, slipping into the church choir Christmas carols and more that Buff had been fain to teach them. The music filled the quiet night, rose in the children's voices, like an invocation to all time. One for the way it all begun, two for the way it all has run, what three'll be for I do forget, but what will be has not been yet. So holly and mistletoe, so holly and mistletoe, so holly and mistletoe, over and over and over, oh! 
Between songs the children whispered together for a minute. "'What's the new little boy's name?' asked Tab. Nobody knew. That would be something to find out. Well, Tab said, tomorrow morning, right after breakfast, I'm going to bring Theophilus Thistledown down and lend him to him. Ain't we going to bury Sandy Claus right after breakfast? demanded Gussie. And all the children, even little Emily, answered, No, let's not. They all went on together and entered Mary's gate. Those within, hearing the singing, had opened the door, and they brought them through that deep arch of warmth and light. Afterward no one could remember whether or not the greeting had been Merry Christmas, but there could have been no mistaking what everybody meant. End of chapter 13